0: once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question. with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J.
1: Hello, Josephine. How are you in the land of the gods today?
0: It's despicably beautiful here, actually. The sunsets are offensive. Dr. J, how are you in the land of the Brits?
1: Oh, the land of the, we're not going to talk about Brexit because my God, why would we? but everything's fine. Oh, by the way, we we also have the plague. Does that describe enough what it's like living in Britain at the moment? Hi, (laughs) I'm Dr. J. I work at ThoughtWorks, which is a bespoke software consultancy, and they allowed me to write my own job title. So I did. I'm the harbinger of change. I also was born in New Zealand, which allowed me to write my own gender. So I did. I'm transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer what I wish to state upon your forms. Anything else is, well, you're just asking me to not give my legal gender. What else about me? I'm a troublemaker, as if you couldn't tell, and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. And I finally might even read a Sarah Ahmed book because I now have one. Sarah Ahmed, by the way, came up with the whole queer nuisance thing. Josephine, do you want to tell us who you are as if I have no memory?
0: Sure thing, Jay. <laughs> I am Josephine Baird. I'm an academic and an artist. I used to make a big spectacle of myself upon the stage, but now I tend to make more of a spectacle of myself by drawing funny pictures and putting them on the internet. And I'm in the middle of trying to catch up with Inktober, which is drawing a different picture every day and putting it on the internet. If you'd like to see that, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm at Josephine A. Baird, as in Josephine, the letter A, Baird. I'm also a lecturer on the subject of game design at the Uppsala University Department of Game Design, surprisingly enough, here on Gotland in beautiful Sweden. I'm a PhD student, also studying game design, and I like to think of myself as a femme of international history because it sounds amazing. And this week, I was a femme of international history. I went somewhere this week, dear listener, and we're going to talk a little bit about that because it's going to come up on today's topic. And what is today's topic? Dr J
1: having self belief having that knowledge that you belong that knowledge that you have a right to be in that space the knowledge that you should be there taking up space is a complicated idea and it's complicated for a lot of people i believe it becomes more complicated when we are as different to people as josephine and myself are because when for example We both know how to take up space on a stage. We both know how to evoke a stage presence. We both know how to use stillness and our voices, how to use the space to take up space when we are performing. When you are in the rest of your life and you need to walk, or in my case, sit here and turn on the video call thing into a boardroom or into somewhere, you also need to find a way to take up space and to be present and to have that self-belief that you should take up space in that environment that you do belong there that you are somebody that everyone there should respect and listen to and you should not apologize for being there it's a complex topic even to describe because when you say have faith in yourself or have self-belief, everyone's like, yeah, you should do that. Go on. You should have more self-belief. You should be more, um, more confidence, more confidence in yourself when you stand in front of these people. I'm like, oh, well, how, how does that work? When I'm obviously queer, people don't know how to read me. They don't understand the words that I say. Half of them never even heard of a pronoun. You know, how do you then, walk in with confidence into a space where people are not actively hostile. They just, "Mm, you're weird. Why are you here?
0: It's about that notion of acceptance, self-acceptance, that is to some degree taught, if not to a tremendously large degree taught. We can see it in the ways in which some members of our community are basically encouraged to have that self-belief, that faith in the self from birth, and others are not just culturally taught to believe that. We're also taught to believe that some people have the right to express that self-belief in certain ways, whereas when others do it, they are seen to be inappropriate at best, if not outright vulgar at worst. This is a complex topic because it comes from multiple facets from society. On the other hand, it's also really, really, really simple. This sense that we deserve to be in a certain space and we deserve to take up space in that environment is really, really simple, but the factors that impact on that sense of your right to be in that space is extremely complicated, and for me has been a lifetime project, and still it. I've had so many challenges to that sense of self-belief in the last few months alone, the last couple of weeks, in the last week, in fact, has been a staggering example of that of going into a new community, doing so very, very visibly and trying to stand up there with both a combination of self-faith, self-belief and humility and a wish to show respect for the environment that I was in and everyone else's ability to be within it. That was challenging. To some degree, I find it much easier to encourage someone else's self-faith and self-belief and to respect someone else's right to be in any space. I will fight tooth and nail for anyone else's ability to do that in any environment, especially those environments where they're historically excluded. To do that for myself, I find tremendously difficult. Now, this is not an uncommon experience. I'm sure a lot of people can relate. In my case, it's particularly acute. I find this particularly difficult and I'm working on it on a daily basis And I like to believe, I think it it is strategically good for me to believe that I'm getting, if that makes any sense, Jay.
1: I'm also finding it interesting that you're more able to do it for others than for yourself. And I find that I'm praised or I'm told that people find me very encouraging. They find I'm very supportive. They find the support that I give really useful, which is Weird because I think I also have struggled to give that to myself in the past. I have struggled to believe that I should be in this space. And I think it's about because you believe that you should be there, you believe you have a right to be there, you have a right for your voice to be heard, you have a right to take up space. And I think it's that notion of that rightness rather than you deserve it, rather than you're demanding it, it is right for me to be in the space, taking up space, making this noise. Asking these questions is the right thing. And it's not saying I demand it or I deserve it or you begging for it or anything like that. It's saying me being here, it's the right thing. It's more I am here. I find that really
0: interesting because it's a slight adjustment of the usual discourse about this. this notion that someone deserves the opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, it's simply correct that it should be this way. It's not a question of it yes. should or could. It is simply correct if it is done this way. It is not correct when it's not this way. And I know mean, that sounds like a really awkward way of saying that, but I, I really like that approach. Jay. I try to do this mental gymnastics with myself sometimes. If I believe that someone should be in an environment who has the characteristics of queer or different, and I believe they have the definitive right to be in an environment, that it's correct that they should be included. That it would be incorrect for them not to be included. Can I at least self apply that too? Because it has to be universal. It cannot be right for some and not right for others. In our culture, there is a belief that a certain gendered kind of person is by default allowed in every environment, that cis men are generally accepted as. Perfectly valid in most environments.
1: It's the men with the posh accent.
0: Especially those. And if we then apply this notion that it is simply incorrect for them to be exclusively allowed in that environment, that the hole that we should be able to pass through... How can I do this very well? Hmm. It's 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 surprisingly difficult, isn't it, Jay, to talk about something like this, because I don't think we have a language for it. The notion of this is so built up on an individual level. We even started this conversation with the notion of self-faith belief in the self. Yes, that's true. But the lack of self-belief is a structural problem. It's caused by all these little messages we get every day that say certain people are allowed in this environment. In fact, they should be in this environment and certain people should not by definition of who they are not what they can do or how they can speak or any other factor, simply by the basis that they do not fit the mold. We talked about this very much when when we talked about employment a couple of episodes ago, and I was talking about it today actually about this notion of culture fit. This idea that there is a culture fit. We have an understanding of who should be here, who should have the confidence to speak, who should be given the right to speak, take up space, and have self confidence, have self faith. And it's not everyone. And that belief leads people to have an individual belief that
1: they shouldn't speak. It also leads to judgments about the people who do speak. So when I do that talk about the problem with norm, which I think came from a lot of that conversation around employment and who has those shapes of people, I talk about the fact that if I'm seen as too assertive, or there is a judgment when I'm assertive, that I'm being aggressive because of how people read me. And black women especially, is read as much more aggressive when she says the same words that I do. And this is one of those things of, there's a huge structural component. There's also an individual component in how an individual is read when they go into that environment. There is a base level within that environment and you're read on how you walk in, you're read on how you talk, you're read on how you communicate the words that you use, the way that you walk around, the way that you walk in and sit down, the way that you address people online, the way that you present yourself online, the way that you dress, all of those things. Somebody will read what they see of your background. They will read as a particular thing. They will read in a particular way and they will make judgments about the value they place upon your words. And it is mental gymnastics. It's just kind of saying I am here, and it's not a value judgment or anything like that. It's like, I am here, I'm present, I'm listening, I'm taking part in this conversation. How you read me has nothing to do with me. How you read and react to my presence in this space has nothing to do with what I am actually doing and a lot to do with with you and the structural environment. And being comfortable and confident with how I'm walking in actually changes the nature of how people read me. When I was going in feeling a bit apologetic, like, should I really belong here? I'm talking to the grown-ups. I'm talking to people who have been to better schools than I, me, I. I'm not even sure which grammarly way that goes, whether it's better schools than me or better schools than I. People who've been to better universities, people who have... I'm putting in inverted commas, better jobs or better job titles. You go in to those spaces and if you apologize for being there or you feel apologetic or you feel like you shouldn't be there, you start to overcompensate or you start to push yourself and either you apologize, which is the natural thing. I'm sorry for being here. I'm sorry for raising my voice, but I need to ask this question. All of that work actually starts to negate your voice all of that work starts to make people question the points that you raise because they read some kind of subterfuge so if I go in trying to look a little bit straighter a little bit less of a weirdo a little bit less of a kind of anarchistic dress a little bit more like everyone else that discomfort with where I am that discomfort with myself takes away from the words that I say because somebody listens to the words that I say and says ah There is something incongruent here. Let me question your words more. I can't question you, but I feel that there's some work going on behind your brain to make you stand in this room. It must be about your words because it can't be about anything else of course, it's never just about the words that you're saying, it's about the other things, but it means that you come under more questioning. The more confident I've been going into these rooms, the less questions I've had about what I say. And I'm still just as challenging, just as on the ball about the business practices, about the business models, about the stuff that people are doing. And it's that belief that I'm here, full stop. There's no, I'm here and I should be or I'm here and you should make room it's just I'm here I'm taking up space very much like when we perform when we stand on stage we walk out we take up space we don't apologize if somebody's apologetically performing if somebody doesn't feel like they should own the space and own the stage you can tell instantly by the way that they stand by the way that they move on stage by the way that they take up space it's the same when you go into these different spaces and that's kind of like my big revelation of the, well, probably the last year and a half, I started taking up space by just saying, I'm here.
0: Oh, my God. I did a talk this week at a, a conference called Knutpunkt about live action role play. It LARPs. And it was my first time attending, huge event, quite fabulous in so many ways. And I want to talk about it in all sorts of ways, because I was inspired and I learned a lot. Uh, it challenged my sense of confidence, but I wanted to talk about one particular talk I'd seen there. I'll, I'll also talk about my own personal experience, but there was one talk that was given by, and I hope I'm saying your name right, Eric Winther Paisley. I apologize if I've said your name wrong. Who was talking about glamour and this notion? Yes, Jay's Jay's now visualizing glamour. I'm sorry you can't see this because it is fabulous. I would do a disservice to try and summarize this talk in a pithy way because it was done really, really well and I don't believe it was recorded sadly but the central thesis as I understood it was this that we don't often encourage ourselves to play with glamour, to inhabit glamour, although glamour is presented as this fabulousness that we should all aspire to to some degree. But glamour is also this dangerous thing, right, that you, when you aspire to it, you may fall down. You may make yourself appear awkward, that the aspiration to glamour, the attempt to inhabit it is also potentially something that could lead to you appearing silly or appearing wanton or appearing... Ludicrous in any number of ways if you were to fail at glamour and the ways in which this particular theorist presenting this wonderful deconstruction of the notion of glamour and this desire to be attended to, to be reflected to as fabulous as wonderful as having these wonderful qualities that glamour does describe and it was wonderful to watch this person saying that this is okay to want to take up the space it's okay to want to be in that spotlight to be fabulous and sparkle and be a delight you know because that's perfectly reasonable human desire and need now what we need to do practically the capacity of games and of communal activities in which we play roles was to make space for everyone to experience that. And he was talking about like practical ideas of like, could we create environments that would allow for that? And what different versions of glamour there are, because there's not just one form of expression of glamour and all these wonderful tips and ideas on how to do that, like creating a space where there's a spotlight so one can inhabit and enter and exit this notion of glamour. And just to basically encourage everyone to fulfill that role. And the work I'm doing at the university right now is talking about inhabiting roles and role play as a way of practicing something that or inhabiting something or experiencing something that we don't normally get to do in everyday life. And I was so inspired by this wonderful talk and this wonderful notion of like, can we role play into glamour? Can we have that experience? And my immediate thought was like, yes, fucking please. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't do that. I am still finding that I apologize for everything I do in everyday life. So much so that one notable occasion I was at, uh, a dear friend had passed away very suddenly. And that friend was a performer, an artist uh, in many, many ways. And so the way we as queer people in London sought to to honor their memory was to have a massive artistic event. And it was in this huge hall and this stage set up. And anybody who was there was invited to perform on stage. And I was there with many of Brixton's friends and I was moved to perform because I was so upset and I didn't know what to do. And I used to dance and this was what I did. I went on stage, turned on some music, did this dance performance where I just completely went completely wild and crashed out sweating in a heap at the end of it. It was incredibly cathartic. One of Brixton's close friends, who was something of a figure in the queer community who had very little problem, by the way, with having faith in themselves and taking up space, um, came up to me furious. And I was scared to death. Like, I was like, oh, my God, have I profaned Brixton's memory with my performance? Have I upset this person so much that they're angry at me? And I mean, angry. And they said to me, will you stop fucking apologizing before everything you do? When you go on that stage, do not stand there and say sorry and then dance like that. (laughs) <laughs> and they were furious with me. And I had not realized what I'd done. I walked up on stage, gone to the microphone, said sorry, and then did it. I had taken up some space to emote something that meant the world to me to someone who meant the world to me. And I had apologized right before doing it. And I'm still doing it. And when I went to this conference, when I went to Knut I was due to present on my academic work, which involves talking about role-play and the potential transformative possibilities of role play. I have come to find that live-action role-playing games might be a wonderful and specifically and particularly good way of doing that. Now, this is very much out of my usual experience. My biggest concern when I was going there to present my work was that I'm walking into this community who don't know me and I haven't been around very much. And I certainly haven't interacted with on a one-to-one level, live action role-playing games. As you can imagine, dear listener involve being around other people in a live action way. And that's not really been possible over the last few years. And so I haven't really had the opportunity to experience that in this community, certainly not play any games in an interpersonal way. So I'm walking in there and absolutely fucking terrified of presenting my work to these people, of having the confidence of saying, this is what I'm doing. Now, I really wanted to feel confident to take up that space. And so I worked really hard on that. And if you watch the video and you can watch the video of my talk, you'll notice I'm extremely nervous. But the other thing I really wanted to do was make sure I respected the environment. was And that's the difficulty, I think, with this notion of confidence and taking up space and having self-faith is that sometimes what that can do is that can sort of Go all the way the other way of the scale and become hubris and a lack of humility and a lack of care for other people's opportunities. Now, I tried to walk that line very carefully when I was in that space of both being like, Hi, I don't want to be rude (laughs) and say horrible things and just come in and be, Hi, I'm fabulous and I know everything. But also to say, I really do think I have some ideas that I'd like to talk to you about. And I was very, very pleased to have the reception that I got, which was uh, incredibly positive. And I was deeply moved by the welcome I got to this community. And I feel like I can, with some faith, say I did a decent job at this. But what I really loved was hearing everyone say, it's important that everyone feels like they have an opportunity in this environment. And that talk was a really good example of that. And when we finished, one of these academics who is very mature, Forefront in that particular community is something of a person I've read many, many times now, because they just write an exceptional amount was asked by my colleague what his favorite part of the conference was, and he said, "Community." And I have to agree, but it was a community that allowed everyone that encouraged everyone to consider themselves as having the opportunity to have glamour, to have faith and to take up some space. And I really love that. And I don't know if I've explained that very well, Jay, But No, yeah. I
1: think you've explained it really well. And I think it's interesting to contemplate not having done a lot of live action role play, but having done a lot of tabletop role play. They come from a similar backgrounds often. The best spaces that you've got for those allow everyone to contribute. They make space for people to be silly, to be stupid, to To experiment, to try something new, to try and fail and just mess things up gloriously and celebrate the serendipity of what happens when somebody runs along and does something and it sparks something in somebody else and those sparks and those pieces that fly off people. Those are the best kind of spaces that are made in role-playing communities of the tabletop ones that I know of. And I'm sure that because LARPing has often been based on that same community, those communities overlap. It's that same mindset of if I've talked and there's somebody else around the table who hasn't talked, who hasn't had their go, I stop, I make space for them to take up space to try something to do that. And so I can imagine that that would be the way that they would run a conference, that that would be the kind of feeling of the conference, that people had the space, that community almost understands the need to make space for other voices. They make spaces for people to try those different things.
0: I mean, I can't speak for an entire community. I only met some people. I did, however, get a sense of the potential of this community, certainly of many of the members within it. I really liked the emphasis on giving everyone a chance to have a spotlight moment for themselves, whatever that might be. It didn't mean that everyone plays the grand wizard. You know, you could have that spotlight moment by playing the smallest character in the smallest role, and that it's still profound, that it is still yours. But like I said, this particular talk structure is having this specific quality of Sweet. asking you to consider your own self, to enact it. In some ways, a fake it till you make it kind of way. Like sometimes you need a role to play in order to realize that you can be this way. I was told this when I went to a performance environment for the first time, and I was being asked to be a host in the environment, as opposed to just being a performer. I was asked to host the environment. And I said to the organizer, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and they turned around and said, you're an actor, create a character who knows how to do it, play that. You know, <laughs> And I was like, well, first off, you don't have to put it that way. But secondly, you're absolutely right. Fuck you. It's just like, <laughs> and actually, weirdly enough, playing the role of someone who feels like they have faith in themselves. It's this notion of like inhabiting this identity, inhabiting this role, believing a little bit in yourself in that space, and then taking that belief and taking it into another environment is actually the essence of what I'm studying. That's really what I'm working
1: I think there's a wonderfully interesting little complication here because. I think a lot of the problems that I was facing when I was going in and visibly not being I am here, full stop, but being much more apologetic about being in the space wasn't just how people were reading me was that I was reflecting their own nervousness about being in the space. There were some of them saying, this person is nervous about being in the space. Should I also be nervous about myself being in this space, even though I'm a cis white man from this school, but I didn't go to that school and I didn't get quite good enough marks for this. And there's all the self-doubt, so I'm being defensive. And I wonder if one of the interesting things about those rooms where you go in and you're confident, because you're confident that I am here, then you're more confident in giving space and support to somebody else who walks in and says I am here because there is no shared doubt there is no reflected doubts between you as to whether you belong on that space you are just there and because you're just there you are okay with making space for somebody and not just okay you're comfortable you're comfortable with saying yeah and you're there and there's no next part of that sentence it's just you're there I am here We talk, the thing gets said, hurrah, decision made, bonza. And it is all unsaid. You're not in there in a defensive mode. You're not walking in expecting a fight. You've come through the fight. You've come through everything. You're just there. It's weird because these are spaces that only a couple of years back, I would have had massive imposter syndrome in to get the thing that I got the other week, which was, I am now a principal at Footworks which is a big thing it's a big leap it's a huge mental shift in a lot of ways but I've also been doing the role for a while and I am having zero imposter syndrome about it I don't feel like I shouldn't be here and I think there is an amazing mind switch of like no I'm I'm here and it's not in an arrogant way it's not in a way that tips over into hubris it's just a statement.
0: I find I struggle with that imposter syndrome just constantly. And I know it's because of all the tiny little messages that I've had, or even the very overt messages I've had that have said that you're not good enough and you're not able to be in here compared to whomever is in here and whatever in here is. I'm thinking about it in an academic sense. For example, I have a constant belief that my ideas, my perspective are not insightful enough, not new enough, not clever enough. But the why? Why am I considering myself lesser than? Well, because I've been taught to do that through a myriad of experiences. But I know intellectually that that's not true. I know that my opinion is as valid as any other because I believe that for everyone else. I believe that so firmly that I've dedicated a huge chunk of my life to arguing for it in all sorts of forums. So why can't I self-apply it? Why, why is it so difficult to self-apply it? And I think it's because these things are so powerful. I think it's because these messages are so subtle, so constant, and there are very real structural elements in place to remind you of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: you will walk into a place and because of the way you look or the way you are or what people believe you are, will consider your opinion lesser than. I've had it happen. There have been jobs I haven't gotten quite literally because of it. There have been positions that I have not been allowed to inhabit because of it. My work, my daily opinions when I say something or do something is not considered equal. I've experienced it. I've been told it quite literally. And how do I set that next to this imposter syndrome? Knowing intellectually, knowing factually, knowing theoretically, having done activist work on it, having done research on this, knowing this so well and so fundamentally from every angle that I've stood in front of actual Swedish parliament and politicians and other people who do this kind of work and argued for this successfully, and I still in my heart struggle with this. Maybe this is one of these things that I can't entirely think my way out of, Jay. Maybe this isn't something that logic doesn't entirely allow for.
1: I don't think it's got logic in it. I'm trying to think of how I got from that space to this one. And let's be honest, there are still moments where I walk in and there is that moment of like, oh, fuck, what am I doing here? And then I just turn around and go, yeah. And so you're here and the person over there is thinking the same thing. So shut up and get on with it. It's almost like I talk to myself. I'm not sure how I did it. Honestly, if I knew how I did it, I'd write the book. I'd sell the book. I'd be doing the TED Talk. Well, I already do a TED Talk, but I'd be doing a TED Talk on this of how to break the thing inside your head that tells you you shouldn't be there and just how to be there. Welcome to my TED Talk. Thank you for coming.
0: (laughs) See, See, this is the thing, dear listener. Jay actually has done a TED Talk and still has imposter syndrome. I have an answer, actually, now that I think about it. And Jay and I have talked about this before, actually. Sometimes it is really, really good to have quite literal reminders to yourself that you can do things, to surround yourself by those things. Jay and I talked about our decorating of our own homes. In fact, actually, I need to credit this to the person who who suggested it to me first, which was Effie, my dear wife. When we got our home, we were lucky enough to have more rooms than we actually required to simply exist in, which is one of the first times in my life we've ever had that. And when we got this home, we started to like decide what room should be allocated to what. It was very easy for me to say, you should have a wonderful sewing room because that's her art and it's her beautiful practice. And so it was very easy for me to argue for that. And then she said, well, but you must have a room of your own as well, to quote Virginia Woolf. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I do. I can, I can just do it anywhere." And she was like, "Insistent, no, you must also have a room of your own. You are equally valid in having a room of your own. Okay so all right what do i do with this room well i put a computer in there and a desk and a, and a screen and i was like well okay yeah this is this is feeling good you know like i had a, put some musical instruments in there for a little bit and stuff like that and then i was like well what do i put on the walls and she said i think you need some reminders that you can do things in this room where you're going to create stuff and like how about this poster on the wall of this film that you're in i'm like oh my god this feels like such a fucking wanky ego trip bullshit thing to do <laughs> And she was like, no. When you look at that, when you're staring at this computer screen, trying to believe yourself into writing something academic or to create something or to draw a picture and put it on the internet because you believe in yourself, you can look up and instead of looking at a blank wall or someone else's beautiful thing, you can look up and you can see this poster of a picture of a thing that you were able to do. In fact, you shouldn't just have one picture, you should have all the pictures are things that you've made to remind yourself of that. And there's one thing, and it's a letter. And I know the person who wrote this letter listens to this podcast. So I apologize. I'm not going to mention your name because I haven't asked you, but please allow me to talk about this a little bit anonymously. When I started to apply for academic jobs, when I decided that this was actually the life I wanted to lead, a friend of mine, I asked her if she would be one of my referees. And she said, yeah, of course. And she said, "Um, how about I write you a letter so that you've got it? And I'll send it directly to them. And I was like, that's great. Thank you. The letter she wrote was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard said about me in my life. And I was like, I want to keep those words because they meant so much to me. Because they said, you are worthy and valid. And you are capable and should be doing this because that's what it says in a letter it's just like <laughs> josephine should be doing this and it means so much to me so maybe one of the sources of this elusive thing that i'm looking for this faith in myself comes from the others around me now that doesn't mean i want to rely on everybody's opinion for my self-worth but in some ways i think i do and i think maybe we all do That being reflected back, our value is being reflected back at us, is the source of that potential self-faith, that self-worth. My colleagues here, the people I traveled to connect with, helped me get on that stage to actually stand there and go, hi, these are my thoughts. Big group of people who I've never met, they helped me do that and encouraged me all along the way. Jay encourages me on a daily basis. Whether we're talking on this podcast or in our little WhatsApp conversation, <laughs> reminding me, you get to do this. You are allowed to do this. And I would very much like to do the same for Jay, for my colleagues, for my friend who wrote that letter. And yeah, for anybody else who's listening, perhaps we can do that a little bit for you too. Cause I don't know you, but I'm pretty sure you're fucking amazing. So,
1: oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether to end it there or to tell you what I have in my bathroom with waterproof crayons on the white tile walls is a drawing of myself with the fact that I'm kind, I'm resilient, and I'm vulnerable. Who is worth all of the things? This is literally written up on my bathroom wall, so I see it every day, and it reminds me that this is me, and I am worth all of the things. And then I've added a little one of that I care for the putch. I care for the little putchy. I care for this being who is all of this and that is there every morning. And that just ensures that I remember this.
0: I love that you have that on (laughs) your This is how we combat all those messages is that we need to have our own messages. And Mm. some of them can come from ourselves and some of them can come from others. But the best thing is when they come from both, that you can take the messages that you've received from others who are able to tell you, we love you, you are good enough, you are this person, and internalize that somehow.
1: Then you turn that into, I am here. And it's that quiet confidence of just being in that space. You can be there and be nervous. You can be there and be nervous for the same reason everyone else is nervous when you give a talk at a conference. It's not adding that extra nerves. Do you feel like we have complicated, decomplicated, uncomplicated, recomplicated, and simplified, and then unsimplified this entire notion of faith in ourselves?
0: Yes, to all those words in that order.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Jay.
0: And I've been really enjoying this time with you today. So I will look forward to our next encounter. <laughs> and as usual, Jay, it is my pleasure to always ask you at the end of our conversations. What would you like to talk about next time? And is it in any way related to how breathtaking characters is?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although because of life and a few things, I haven't watched anything other than the Matrix Resurrections trailer on repeat. Massive amounts of times, ridiculous amounts of times. I don't know how many views that's had, but I'm sure I've contributed about a third of them because oh my god that is one of the most breathtaking I cannot wait for that I am smiling so hard just at the thought of seeing that movie I just everything he obviously somebody turned around and said could you try not to look like John Wick in this movie and he's gone I'm here um, <laughs> but He is so breathtaking. The excitement that I feel just watching that. I want to find out who the blue-haired person is because they're obviously non-binary because fuck it. They've got to be looking that fucking cool. All of those different pieces that you're seeing coming together. I'm just like, I want to know more about this. I want to breathe this world again. I want to play again with The Matrix. I am now probably at some point going to watch all three of The Matrixes back to back. And Keanu Reeves is breathtaking and it is not an obsession
0: (laughs) press x to doubt that's a gaming (laughs) reference everyone Thank you, dear listener, for being with us again this time.
1: Thank you very much for listening. We'd love you to join us next time. If you'd like to support us, please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash complicated or one word. We have one tier of support. You can throw some money and that money goes towards us paying any guests that we have on and ensuring that everyone is paid for the time that they spend with us because that's important. What else can you do? Well, you can go on Twitter and chat to us on twitter it is complicated without the e it is complicated otherwise you can find us wherever good podcasts are sold thank you and i'll catch you later bye bye